on this week's episode of Where We Are, we're going to talk about the great de-churching, what it means for the church, what it means for America. You're listening to Where We Are. You're listening to Where We Are. We are the Where's. I'm Michael. I'm Melissa. Melissa. It's a uh, we're we're now really into into September. That means uh, Buffalo Bills. The Bills. Yep. The Buffalo Bills play Monday night against the New York Jets. It's very exciting. Uh, it also means fall is coming. Long-time yeah. listeners of the pod would know that you're not a huge fan of fall. I'm not. Although you like many things associated with fall, including apple cider donuts, including the girls dressed up in funny costumes, uh, but but something about fall, and we don't need to get into it here because it gets <laughs> me very frustrated, uh, something about fall sets really, me off. really sets you off. Uh, but... I'm I'm glad for it to be fall. Uh, there are a lot of things that need to happen in the fall, and I am uh, I'm I'm glad to just figure out how things how things go. I'm sick of waiting. You know, I'm I, I need I need some some questions answered. I need time to pass, and the fact that we're in September means that time is passing. Yeah, time is doing its thing. Yeah. Do you have anything <laughs> profound to say about the nature of time and existence? Or? No, but it sounded like you were about to go into like some kind of thing. And I was like, well, okay, Michael, go off. I mean, I am feeling pretty reflective. It I is, was about to say, yes. It is 1 in the morning. It is 1 a.m., yep. On Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... We'll be releasing this episode yeah, yeah, like, so when in you, the next hour. When you hear this podcast, it will be so fresh. Right out of the oven, you may burn your fingers. Uh, you may you may like like blow on it first, uh, so that it's because it's gonna be hot off the presses. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and why are we recording so late this evening? Because we were at a very fun party earlier. We were at a very fun party celebrating the marriage of Joshua and Michelle Dubois. Uh, Joshua Michelle anniversary. Ten year anniversary. Joshua and Michelle, longtime friends. Joshua uh, was my boss back 2008 campaign, White House colleague. Uh, we started businesses together. We've uh, experienced a great deal of life together. And it was fun to see uh, him and Michelle celebrate and be celebrated. Yes. With their babies. Mm-hmm, their three babies. Uh, and got to see just a whole bunch of folks that I just have not seen in way too long. Uh, so it was great, but what it meant was, cause we had, we had friends over for dinner Friday night, so yeah. we didn't record Friday night. And so, uh, so we're recording podcasts, uh, at, at now one one oh nine AM. <laughs> <laughs> But <laughs> it was a great party. We got to do one of those uh, photography things where the camera is on like a swivel and it goes around you. It's 360. It's very 360. high tech. And I did not understand it. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but it was, a, it was a cool experience. I felt like... Uh, 
I was on like E News exactly. at like the Oscars exactly. where they do that camera right. yeah, yeah. zoom in slow mo thing. Yeah, it felt very fun. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to say about? party anything you want to say about life generally melissa uh no <laughs> not really you have I'm nothing just... on your mind i mean we got the girls in the preschool yeah no the girls is uh Saoirse started preschool alaria starts next week it'll be her first time ever in any kind of school or care setting and so i'm very interested to see how she reacts but, you know, Saoirse had a great week last week, and she's just so excited. She loves school so much. But for the first time ever, for two days a week, for three hours each day, both children will be in school, and it'll be very strange for me not having them at home because I stay at home with them while I consult part-time and do the podcast and our sub-stack. So i'm about to hit a new new era like a hint of what it will be like when they're both in elementary school which i've heard from many other parents who stay at home with their kids is like a a new a new horizon yeah so that's gonna be wild yeah uh, i am yeah no it, feel, it definitely feels like a milestone in the parenting in the parenting journey for real you know melissa i'm 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 like in a sharing mood this evening uh, like I have things okay. on my mind. Uh, <laughs> All right. What does that mean? It means uh, television recommendation, which Ooh, is folks yeah, need okay. to need to watch my brilliant friend mm. uh, uh, on Max HBO. Uh, I just think it's so well done. If you're able to stick with subtitles, I'll be honest. I'm I'm at the age where. I can only do at most an episode and a half a, a night, but honestly, I've been doing a lot of like half episodes because following the subtitles, not being able to do anything else, like while you're watching the show, uh, man, I just get tuckered out. But it is a wonderful show. I'm interested if any of our listeners read Lena Ferrante's books. Um, I just listened to my first Ferrante audiobook. Really liked it. Um, I think I'm about to start the book of My Brilliant Friend. Uh, but yeah, I, I, that's a recommendation uh, that I I would give. It is, you know, heavy content. It's a coming-of-age uh, sort of uh, story. Um, I like watching it. Like if the girls are around because it's all subtitles, so <laughs> so so it's like you know if, if something uh, uh, you know something is is happening that if it was in English I would have watched it around around uh, you know if, if the if the dialogue is a little little too uh, crass but um, but it's all in Italian so uh, uh, so that 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 helps. Uh, in the in the parenting season that we're in now too, because uh, they can't read yet, <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm gonna make sure they they can't read until I finish the series. Thankfully for them, I only have you know six or seven episodes left. <laughs> Melissa, anything else before we get to the main topic? I mean, I just I kind of feel I kind of feel. I, I'm I'm willing to say anything. I'm willing to talk about any topic. Is there any anything you want to share with our listeners? 
I'm looking at you like, are you okay? Is this the 1 a.m. like... This is the 1 a.m. podcast. This is the time. This is like... This is the 1 a.m. giddiness, like the witching hour. You've got the zoomies. (laughs) All right, all right, all right. Okay. The other show I can recommend is Severance. If you have Apple TV or you were wanting to get Apple TV, please watch Severance. It's been out for a while, but love that show. I keep on thinking about it. Yeah, that's true. A really good show. Uh, okay, let's get to the main topic for this episode, which is the great deterching. Uh, first of all, gosh, Jim Davis, Michael Graham, they've just done a knock-up uh, job with the um, with the PR. I mm-hmm. mean, you're you're just seeing the great deterching everywhere. Everywhere, the book. And also just like the phrase, like I think it's just what people are going to call it now. Um, like that's a cool thing to be able to point at something, name it. And people are mm-hmm. like, yeah, yeah, th- that's what we'll refer to it as. Uh, for those of you who, so this book came out last several weeks. Uh, Jim Davis is a pastor in Orlando. Michael Graham writes for TGC. Um, uh, is the ED of the Keller Center. Um, and uh, they wrote this book, The Great Dechurching, Who's Leaving, Why Are They Going, and What Will It Take to Bring Them Back, um, which covers the the significant change in the American religious landscape where uh, 40 million adults, 16% of, of adults in America, Today used to go to church, but no longer do. Uh, they put this in context, interestingly uh, and, and and strikingly, to say that what has transpired in terms of folks no longer attending church over the last twenty five years uh, is a religious shift that's about one and a quarter times larger than the fastest period of growth in religious adherence, which was uh, the 25-year period after the Civil War. Uh, This is uh, consequential for the life of the church, consequential for America. I think they very helpfully are, are obviously focused on the evangelistic, the ecclesial, the missional sort of aspects of this, but they also uh, cover some of the social, uh, political, uh, and even sort of the the the, the um, kind of e- economic sort of consequences uh, of of this change. They give three reasons, three factors, main factors, though they say there's a lot of room for nuance and there are a lot of, uh, you know, there are other things going on, but they give three factors uh, for what drove the acceleration of de-churching in the 90s on. First, they say during the Cold War, the terms American and Christian were used synonymously But after the Cold War, it became more culturally acceptable to be both American and non-Christian. And so sort of like the, 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 all the cultural 
uh, pressure uh, that existed during the Cold War, sort of the, the a pressure valve was released. Second, uh, there was fallout from an increasingly polarized religious right. And we've talked about this before. This is uh, uh, Robert Putnam and David Campbell did a lot to, to sort of... Um, uh, to, to sort of uh, put some academic weight behind this idea, but, but, but basically it's, it's that because of a conflation between a certain kind of right-wing conservative politics and Christianity, uh, then uh, that, had, uh, that, that sort of pushed people away and people who, who thought, you know, for instance, well, my politics aren't, aren't that, and if that's what Christianity is, then I must not be a Christian. Those kinds of things happen, and the, the, uh, the formerly religious middle uh, began to join uh, those of the religiously unaffiliated. And then third, interestingly, I, this is less discussed, but I think it's right, uh, the influence of the Internet. So they, they say, you know, even though the internet was only in 20% of American homes by 97, uh, students had access in schools. In 94, the internet cafe was born and the first internet connections and public libraries became available. Uh, their analysis here is the, for the first time, people could easily and regularly engage a wide range of worldviews vastly different from their own and collaborate in communities with others questioning their faith without the risk of social and familial opposition. Uh, so I think this is really interesting. Melissa, I, I have some thoughts, but would love to would would love to hear from you what you think about the you know the the, the general you know point and, and research of, of of the book and what you think about the subject generally. Yes. So I think that this book really contributes to conversations uh, around these issues because it's one of the largest studies, you know, commissioned on this question of are people leaving the church? How many are leaving the church or how many are stop, you know, no longer going to church? And what is it that they believe is that it gives us numbers. It's quantitative um, and really appreciative of that fact. And Ryan Burge is also on the cover of this book because he he helps provide that data to the authors. And I think we've all seen it, whether or not you have just recently become a Christian or you became a Christian 10, 20 years ago, or you've been a Christian um, you know, since childhood, raised in, raised in the faith, is that you've probably noticed that your friends are no longer going to church or that your congregation has changed quite a bit or you, you're talking to your other friends and they've noticed these things. So it puts numbers to the hunches that maybe a lot of us have had. And so really appreciative of the fact that this is, has really uh, given us some evidence base with which to start these conversations or honestly to continue these ongoing conversations. Because, you know, Michael, you and I were just talking about how you know, with one of like the three major factors that they talk about since the 90s of well, why is why does it look like this is that there actually is quite a bit of discussion and research books 
scholarship out there on the religious right, the rise of it, how it became so powerful, um, what has come out of it. I mean, we recently had John Ward on the podcast talking about his book, Testimony, as you know, one of the great contributions to that particular um, part of scholarship that, you know, these authors sort of pinpoint as one of the three major reasons why our churches today look like the way they do and the trends look like uh, the way that they do. So I'm really appreciative there. And I think that besides, you know, the reviews out there that this book has started some really interesting conversations between, you know, various folks that we um, we uh, follow a lot of their writing on, like uh, Jake Meter over in The Atlantic wrote about this book and his reaction and what he felt like uh, was something that the church could do to sort of stem this decline, which is, you know, churches being bold and asking folks to join and to not just join the community, join the church, but to be deeply involved. And then um, Bonnie Christian over at Christianity Today had a response to Jake's piece saying, you know, what if churches ask for people to be deeply involved and nobody answers or nobody answers that call? So what happens then? Uh, so there's, it's, it's, um, it's definitely been a conversation starter or continuer, I guess, I guess you could say. Yeah, no, I, I thought, I thought, those pieces were great, and we've seen the book get picked up in the Times. And yep, yeah, with no, Jessica, it's been, it's been, with Jessica Grows, who we really appreciate. Yeah, um, but I think I think several columnists pick it picked it up. So it, it is it is uh, driving the conversation. Yeah, here's you know a, a cup. So I always get. Christians hear about this data very differently from uh, from civic leaders and secular folks. And I think there needs to be an attentiveness to the different ways this conversation plays out. So right for for Christians, particularly evangelicals and folks that like like me just want people to know Jesus. Um, these numbers are staggering for what it reflects about the church's ability to reach people about what 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 it says about really like the state of, of our neighbors uh, uh, souls and, and and the spiritual health and like all this all this kind of stuff and that's why there's so much focus among Christians on on this data and there does need to be like this is a wake-up call for people who think that like things are going swimmingly <laughs> uh, like with the American church, th this book again should be a, a wake up call. Uh, just like, right, take out cultural impact, da da da. Uh, folks aren't going to church anymore. <laughs> 40 million, like that, that's, that's significant, that's staggering. I always do feel like I need to emphasize here, and sometimes I wish, uh, sometimes I, I, I want Christians to speak within uh, uh, knowing that others are listening in on the conversation, uh, which is to say that, like, yes, staggering decline. Uh, America is still a profoundly religious 
nation. There are still uh, uh, many, many, many Christians in a way that is still exceptional in the West. And so, yes, we have this great dechurching, but as a, as a cultural, political, social matter, I do know that like some Secular folks, civic leaders, others, particularly those with like decision-making power, like hear this and they're like, whoa. So even if, so like if the, if even the Christians are saying, you know, our numbers are plummeting, that must mean they really are like on the way out. That must like really mean like, uh, you know, Christianity, religion generally, just not such a big thing anymore. And that's not. That's not the thing here. This is like very much like uh, the conversation about this. I, I, it's one of those things of, of, a, of a confluence between Christians want to see every American in, in church, like, like, right? Like I'm an idea, like we want to, we want to reach as, as, as many folks as possible. And, and, and these numbers, this book are striking in that way. But I did just like want to make the point that what it doesn't mean, the great dechurching doesn't mean that sort of religion's irrelevant, Christianity is irrelevant in this country. No, it's 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 still driving the decisions uh, of uh, a significant uh, percentage of American adults uh, in this country. So that'd be one thing I'd say. Second thing I'd say is what I like about another thing I like about the book is I think it rightly places and what I liked about Jake's article is that it rightly places uh, church attendance, even like theological uh, well, a Christian practice, let me say, within a within a social context. When I think so often evangelicals want to say, "Well, look, we just need to like walk people down the Romans Road, and if and you know they'll they'll see it, and like their their lives will change, and they'll go to church, da da da." Uh, and and I have heard people say. Uh, and I, I wrote about this in the newsletter that, uh, uh, for uh, in, in my newsletter for the Center for Christianity and Public Life. You know, you'll hear people say, you know, the, uh, the church really needs that. We need to focus on. We need to clean up our own house. And and, and what this book, what the Great Dechurching makes clear, is that. This isn't just a matter of sort of getting our theological uh, T's crossed and I's dotted. If we're not cognizant of both the social, economic, cultural context in which we are in and the way that that context sort of affects the way people are hearing the gospel, the way people are thinking about the church. And on top of that, if we're not aware of the ways in which how the church is relating to these socio-political cultural realities is then having an effect on missions and having a, an effect on evangelism, then we're just missing it entirely. Uh, so 
uh, here are some stats from the great dechurching. 68% of dechurched evangelicals said their parents played a role in their decision to stop attending church. Here are the top five reasons they gave. One, their emphasis on culture war lost me over time. Two, their lack of love, joy, gentleness, kindness, and generosity. Three, their inability to listen. Four, their inability to engage with other viewpoints. Five, their racial attitudes or actions. Uh, th that, that, should, th that says enough right there to suggest that like an evangelization strategy or approach, which is like, you, you know, we just need to emphasize Romans more, or we just need to emphasize, you know, this line of doctrine more, uh, is, 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 is not going to respond to the moment. It's not, it's not actually, it doesn't reflect that, that you're paying attention. And so those are two thoughts that I had as I've looked at this book, as, as, as we followed this conversation. One is there should be a wake-up call for the church. We also um, need to be aware of how others are hearing this conversation. And then two, um, uh, we, there, there needs to be a real, um, if, if this is gonna be turned around from a practical sort of pr perspective, it, it's going to be because we we respond with yes theological resources and, and yes with uh, you know an apologetic. It's also going to require an attentiveness to to people's lives as they're living them, the pressures they're facing, and how the cultural, political, social dynamics are playing into that. I guess, Melissa, the, the, the other thing I'd say, and I, this really came out in Jake's piece, was, and I thought this was so wise of Jake, and, and the way he described it was just so spot on, which is, like, a lot of people are not, not going to church because they have some, like, full theological objection. He gives the example in his New York Times piece of... Uh, or I'm sorry, his Atlanta piece of, you know, uh, parents with newborns uh, and just like, uh, you, you, uh, and then the, the, the developed habit of not going to church through that season. He raises the person working 60, 75 hours a week, commuting 15 hours, and, you know, two thirds of their waking hours are, are taken up with, with work and so when they get to Sunday morning they either try to get a little sleep that they can or it's time to see friends or family that they haven't been able to see uh, and so I, I thought that sort of I think that sort of cognizance of the pressures that uh, people are facing and, and the fact that not every decision not to go to church not every decision not to sort of uh, is is a frontal sort of rejection and i think is a is a really 
really helpful way to think about uh, not just understanding the great dechurching, but but how to how to potentially you know reverse it. Yeah, when I read that part of Jake's Jake Meter's piece in the Atlantic, I I thought immediately to the idea that since the '90s, uh, with particularly if you're working in any sort of job which requires email or email access, which which is a lot of jobs. Not not every job, obviously. There's lots of sectors um, that don't. But we know that we are constantly more connected to a lot of our vocations than we used to be back in like 1993 compared to 1983 compared to 1973, where um, a lot of our vocation is 24-7 now. And a lot of people wear multiple hats now in order to make ends meet. And so there's all sorts of factors like that that have only become more profound in the last 25 to 30 years, which is when this de-churching has accelerated that I think what you've just, you know, pointed out and what Jake is pointing out, it probably is is affecting quite a bit. But I just want to make a probably not fully formed thought yet, but a comment, Michael, on... The idea that Christians should be aware that when we are talking, when we're having conversations like this of, of who, who's listening in and how we're presenting conversations like that. Because, yeah, I, I would say lately I have noticed, um, and for many, many good reasons, and uh, a lot of the contributions are wildly constructive and needed and well done and all those things. But we have a lot of diagnoses right now for this de-churching issue. And obviously now we have this book with this, you know, this major study really showing us the numbers. But there's so much diagnosis going on right now, which is 100% needed. Again, so hear me, hear me correct here. But I think when you're constantly swimming in diagnoses, you get constant problematization. Problem, how do you pronounce that? Problematization. Yeah, sure. <laughs> problematizing. No, yeah. problematizing. <laughs> I was like, that's not a word. Problematizing. I think then you get constant problematizing, and I think when you're constantly sort of marinating in that, it ensures that a lot of your response or your i and honestly response is going to actually take a while but a lot of your ideas and your ideation around what could a response be i think it cuts down on the imagination and the innovation that actually could be there i think when you're a bit more alarmed sad frustrated when you're actually trying to figure out how to solve these issues and again all of those like emotions and the, you know the when you see these numbers and you think about these things and you think about the stuff that got us here and the why, yeah, yes, of course they're upsetting. But when we're constantly marinating in that, I think it just means that we just have a far more dour attitude towards all of this. And that it reflects a lot in how we respond and our posture. And again, like you were saying, people are watching us and observing us. And it's kind of like if we're constantly talking about how everything's on the decline and, uh, Christianity is on its way out, people will take you at your word. And when you're 
then at the point where maybe you're in the lowest part of the valley and you're starting to try to build your way out, it makes it even harder to build your way out. Um, and so that's just an observation as well with, with all of this. That's not particular to, to this book and this contribution to the no, conversation, yeah. but to the to the holistic picture of like the last several years, especially running alongside all the, the conversations around how very political our lives have gotten and the various social mores that we used to be able to count on have gone away as well. And the just absolute rapid, rapid transformation of technology and access to information and the pandemic affecting how we are meeting one another face to face, like the physicality of our lives, not just like the emotional and mental aspect of what the pandemic did to us all and the folks that were lost to it and things like that. So, uh, Throw that idea out there. Definitely something I'm ruminating on. Um, yeah, so maybe just a, a, a good way to wrap up this episode is, I mean, so I do think the the great dechurching is a constructive, uh, you know, contribution to this conversation. I'd also point people, you know, our, our guy Ray Chang is doing really wonderful work uh, with Fuller's 10 by 10 project uh, effort. Uh, that I think is sort of uh, positively, proactively trying to respond uh, 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 to to this moment uh, uh, with with reaching young people with the gospel. Uh, I think the works that the, the work that the Pine Tops Foundation has contributed to this conversation. Uh, you could look up the Pine Tops Foundation report, the Great Opportunity. Uh, and uh, that's a. I just love that they named it the Great Opportunity. I think I think that's what it is at the end of the day. Uh, and 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 uh, Pine Tops is is uh, uh, pursuing a positive contributions in, in this area. Uh, our our friend Lisa Fields and what she's doing at Jude Three. Jude Three just had another successful uh, conference. Uh, and I just think they're wonderful as an apologetics organization. I think Lisa's an incredible leader. And so there are like, there are, there, there are folks who are, I think, um, uh, uh, see the challenge ahead of us, see the opportunity ahead of us, and are sort of proactively uh, acting and leading. Uh, and I think that gives me a ton of, uh, a, a ton of hope. That there are people um, who care about the gospel, care about their neighbors, uh, and are uh, thinking creatively about how to do ministry in what is, in the history of America, a unique, a unique situation, a unique uh, landscape. Uh, uh, I think I'll just close by saying, like that's that excites me. That it 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 excites me to be living in a moment uh, like this, where you know, for the first time, uh, we're we're going to be seeing a generation in which uh, you uh, uh, massive numbers uh, 
can be presented with the gospel for the first time uh, because they're growing up in in de church families. Uh, so yeah, uh, Melissa, any any final thoughts? Yeah, I I guess that just the last thing that I would say, and Michael, I know for a fact you would agree with this because you often say this with with politics, and I'll say this to the even broader. Uh, the context of the American church that um, basically Jesus sees, you know, everything that the American church is going through and he's not daunted by it. And uh, like you're saying, this emphasis on opportunity and the hope that you can have and the things that we're already seeing, uh, Jesus sees them too and isn't intimidated, isn't daunted, doesn't think everything is lost. And so I think that generally if we put ourselves in that similar posture, then I think that a lot of fruit will come out of a posture like that. Yeah. All right, friends. That's all we have for this episode of Where We Are. Thanks for listening. Would encourage you to go to ccpubliclife.org and register for the For the Good of the Public Summit. We'll be talking about uh, these issues. Ryan Burge will be at the summit talking about his data, talking about what he's what he's seeing. We're going to have a number of conversations that impinge directly uh, on this topic. We'd love for you to join us in Washington, D.C., November 6th and 7th. Again, you could learn about the summit at ccpubliclife.org and plan your travel now. Uh, and as always, we'd love for you to join us at whereweare.substack.com. Uh, and sign up for the newsletter, support the podcast, and all that good stuff. All right, friends. Hope you have a wonderful uh, uh, rest of your weekend. Uh, hope you enjoy seeing the Buffalo Bills play finally. And, uh, and we'll talk to you next week. This has been Where We Are. Bye. I still wanna turn up. Yeah, I still wanna turn up.